back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we've got a, um, a local entrepreneur. Um, Noam is the founder, co-founder of a company called Cortex. Um, so Cortex was a member of the RevTech Labs class a couple years ago, um, and they've spent the last couple years building out the product, growing their um, their user base, and are really starting to hit some traction here over the course of the last couple of years. Um, Noam was introduced to me by Mike Earhart, who was a mentor for the company back when their RevTech Labs company still sits on their board. So they've got a, a nice base of advisors that sit around them. They've got some techni- technological expertise in the space, um, and it's a neat little concept. So they, I think they've got a, a really nice long runway of growth ahead of them now that they've ironed out some of the um, you know typical challenges that startups face. So Hopefully you enjoy this podcast where we kind of dive into what the product is, where did it come from, where does it go, um, and you know what the what the space looks like for them over the course of the the next couple of years. So enjoy another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. Noam, welcome to the show today. Glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks, William. Thank you for having me on. So, um. If you don't mind, as we as we typically get started, if you could give us, a, I don't know, a 60, 90 second, just intro into who you are um, and the and Cortex, the company. Sure. Uh, so as uh, my accent uh, hints, I am uh, originally from Israel. I moved to the U.S., uh, to Charlotte about four years ago, uh, originally to participate in the Coincity Fintech Accelerator. Uh, and we found uh, Charlotte to be a hospitable place, and we our headquarters are now in in Charlotte. A little bit about a little bit about myself. Um, I have uh, a mixed background of of technology, entrepreneurship, uh, and business. Uh, I participated in an excellence program for uh, students uh, in the IDF when I was in uh, in my late uh, teens, early twenties. I'm an engineer by uh, qualification served about six, seven years uh, in different technology roles in the Israeli military. Uh, after that, worked a little bit in, in consulting, uh, launched my first venture, and Quartex is essentially my uh, second venture uh, together with Dror Polak, uh, which is uh, my uh, co-founder, our COO, uh, and ex-Citibank executive. So, um, so you came to... Um to Charlotte and did the QC FinTech class. Um, I think we determined last time we were, when we were, you and I were chatting a little bit before in, in the spring of 2017, kind of somewhere thereabouts. Um, how old of a concept or where was Cortex in its, uh, in its stages at that point in time? Was, was it pre-launch of a beta? Um, were you already up and running? Where, where was it before you came here? So when we, we came to Charlotte, we basically had an, uh, a product at an MVP level, so a minimum uh, viable product, um, and zero clients. We just uh, raised a pre-seed round uh, in Israel, uh, and we were selected to participate in 
Queen City FinTech. And when we arrived, we basically just had the product, a lot of ideas, a lot of uh, good intentions, uh, but not a lot in terms of actual traction uh, back then. So um, how, have you, you throw that out there. I don't think we talked about it um, previously. You'd raised a pre-seed in Israel and we've talked to a couple of different Israel, um, Israeli entrepreneurs over the years. Um, how easy is it to raise a pre-seed back home? Um, I mean, I know, I mean, Israel itself is a very, it's an entrepreneurial nation, right? Mm -hmm. um, so is it easy to raise capital back there? Um, is it difficult or is it the same as U.S.? Is it just different? What is it? I really think it depends on the market. Uh, Israel has a lot of, uh, relative to the population size, a lot of uh, angel investors, uh, but this is not uh, dumb money. These are very clever, very sophisticated investors, very experienced. Many of them were entrepreneurs uh, in the past. So they know exactly which questions to ask. They know how to look at a market, how to analyze a market. Um, so it's definitely doable. Many entrepreneurs do that, but you need to have the right product, address the, the right market, have preferably traction. And in this sense, I don't think it's, it differs uh, a lot from, uh, from the US actually. Okay. So 2016, probably you've got your concept, you raise some capital and you, um, you apply to QC FinTech at that point in time. Um, and then you come over here um, and you start that program then. What's the, um, you know, what was the benefit that you got out of being a you know, cohort member um, of QC, QC FinTech a couple of years ago? What were the big takeaways that were, were a win for you? I would say that you know, looking at the team, we have a lot of uh, experience in, in, you know, in, in finance. Dror was a banker, a lot of experience in uh, business development, uh, technology. But what we lacked uh, is connections in our target market. Our target market is the United States. We're targeting United States, U.S. Uh, uh, buyers. Uh, but none of us, you know, none of us uh, worked in the U.S. None of us went to a U.S. Uh, school, university. So what we lacked mainly was the network. And I think what we expected to receive from Queen City Fintech, which we definitely received, is uh, a network of connections. Uh, many of our connections were made by the accelerators. Other, connection, uh, other connections were made just by us being in Charlotte, being exposed to uh, senior executives, uh, finance executives uh, that just live in Charlotte, enjoy uh, you know, going to networking events where we were able to uh, meet them. Uh, some of the people that we met along the way were extremely helpful uh, in our journey. Some became investors, others became uh, board members. So I can say that uh, we got what we were expecting uh, and much more. Yeah. So, and you mentioned it earlier, just, you know, a good point in time to kind of, you know, dive into it a little bit further. Um, you know, the product itself is looking for, you know, for looking for a quote unquote buyers. So what, what is Cortex? What are y'all, what, um, what's the solution that you're providing to companies? So in the simplest way, we are a viral trade finance platform that targets middle market buyers and sellers. Now this can be a mouthful, so let me break it down a little bit. In term, when, when I say middle market, we target roughly 
companies that are 50 million to 5 billion. So it's not SME, which is let's say zero to 50 million, but it's also not Fortune 1000 buyers, uh, let's say 5 billion uh, upwards. So we're targeting really the middle market buyers. Um, when I say viral, I mean, we're connecting buyers and their sellers instead of you know working uh, only with a buyer or only with a seller. We're working with the entire ecosystem. Uh, when I say trade, I mean that we're focusing on payables, receivables. Uh, and when I say platform, I mean that we're 100% digital. Uh, so maybe a few examples on, on how this works. So let's say that we onboard a buyer and its vendors or its sellers. Uh, then we get directly from the ERP system of the buyer, uh, we get real-time data, triggers and events that relate to trade activities. For instance, a new invoice was just received. Um, a new, an, an invoice was just approved. Uh, a payment is about to happen. Uh, a purchase order was just received. And we use this real-time information to uh, create, to price, and to deliver credit products in real time to the buyer or to the sellers. Uh, so as an example, let's say that we get a trigger that a buy the buyer just approved an invoice to one of its vendors. Uh, immediately, what is sent to this vendor is an offer to sell this approved invoice to us and get its cash instantly, instead of waiting 30, 60, 90 days to get paid. So this is a trigger that creates a product that is then delivered to the vendor. And then the vendor can decide if it wants to accept the offer or not. And everything happens within a time frame of, of seconds. Uh, another example can be, uh, let's take a trigger that an invoice was just, uh, or an invoice is uh, about to be paid by the buyer to one of the vendors. Uh, the product can be an offer to the buyer to pay the, the uh, seller on behalf of the buyer. So the buyer doesn't have to make the payment right now, uh, but rather we would pay the, make the payment and collect from the buyer at a later time, giving the buyer more time uh, to make the payment. Now, these are just you know, example or use cases that happen right now on the platform. But, but of course, there are many such triggers, many such events that you can imagine. Uh, and part of our journey is to add more products to the uh, suite of products that are already offered to the buyers uh, and to the sellers. We talked about this a little bit before um, and I could only proper, I could only fit in my head. And when you give that explanation now, it sounds a lot, um, it sounds better in my head. I was almost thinking of it as reverse factoring and that's not the first time somebody said that to you, right? So I would say that reverse factoring is one of the products. Basically, it's, it's the anchor product that we start with just to explain what it means. So let's take the buyer uh, and those sellers, okay? Reverse factoring means that we're offering the sellers to factor invoices that they issue to the buyer and that were approved by the buyer. So the short answer is yes, this is exactly the reverse factoring product. Uh, what's worth mentioning in this uh, context is the reverse factoring product is a product that is offered today by the big banks to the Fortune 1000 buyers. It is not offered today to the middle market buyers that, that, that I spoke about earlier. And basically what we're doing is 
democratizing this product by making it available, accessible uh, to those middle market buyers that had no access to it uh, up until today. Um, why was it, why has it not come downstream yet? Is it because the technology wasn't there? Is it because nobody figured out a way to make it profitable on that level? What's, what's different, you know, what, what makes it a viable opportunity now that maybe it wasn't viable previously? So the big banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, JPM and the likes, they have the needed infrastructure, which is technology integration uh, capability, uh, specialized operations uh, that are required to offer this product digitally to the Fortune 1000 buyers. Now, because the ticket size when you go to a Fortune 1000 buyer is very large, this makes it economically viable to those big banks to offer the product to those big buyers. When you go down to the middle market, the ticket size per transaction is just smaller. Uh, and since the infrastructure cost for these big banks is relatively high, the OPEX or the operational costs are high, it just doesn't make sense for them uh, financially to offer it to buyers where the uh, potential uh, profits dollar-wise are, are lower. Basically, our approach is to develop the entire infrastructure in a way that would be, would be first and foremost customizable and uh, more relevant to smaller buyers, so middle market buyers, uh, and also make it possible for basically for any bank to offer this product to its own middle market buyers without investing at all in technology or in um, uh, you know, the operational infrastructure that is required to launch the product and to offer it to middle market buyers, um, basically in an on-demand way. It's like a SaaS product that enables those smaller banks to offer the product to their own clients without investing in technology. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a brilliant product. Um, and you, so it's offered to Fortune 1000 companies at the moment, and you know that, and you knew it was an issue, and you knew it could move downstream because you're a co-founder, right? Yeah, and, and, and also, by the way, my partner, Dror, uh, when he was at Citibank, he was doing this with very, very large buyers. So Dror has an intimate um, acquaintance with, with reverse factoring and a lot of experience offering it to the big Fortune 1000 sized buyers. And basically the logic was, hey, this can definitely work with smaller buyers, but it's not offered because the banks can't make it financially viable. If a bank has to build the entire infrastructure to offer it to smaller clients, the bank would just not do it because it's not financially viable. However, if we can somehow make it accessible to the bank, to a bank, uh, in a way that wouldn't require the bank to invest a lot in the entire infrastructure, then this product can be much more widespread. Um, so in addition to offer it directly to buyers and sellers, we're also speaking with a few banks around this SaaS collaboration model where the banks can basically white label or license our infrastructure and basically offer it to their, to their own uh, middle market clients uh, in a very easy way. Um, yep. No, it makes a ton of sense. So um, how long have you known um, Drawer? Uh, I've known Drawer for about four or five years. Okay. 
So how, so he'd been at Citibank doing this for, you know, um, you know, for a decade, for a decade. And, um, he, how did y'all, how did y'all meet? So we were introduced by a mutual, uh, connection, um, back in, uh, 2016, 17, I, I volunteered, uh, in a team that basically built the first uh, Israeli credit union. And one of the other volunteers uh, was a banker that worked with Dror in the past. Uh, I met Dror, she introduced us. I met Dror a couple of times. We had similar thoughts about like uh, launching uh, our own venture. Um, Dror actually came up with the idea because, you know, it, it, it was a, it's almost a, a screaming opportunity, a product that works very well uh, with the Fortune 1000, but it just doesn't go down market because the business model wasn't figured out. Uh, and we thought that we, uh, we know how to do it. So we decided to uh, embark on this mission. So when he first came to you with the concept and the idea, what was your response? Did you, in other words, did it take you a lot of uh, persuasion or did you get it right away and say, yeah, let's go do that? I did do my due diligence. Explain um, <laughs> it to me. It did make a ton of sense to me, but yeah. I want to you know, do my own uh, duty, due diligence and homework. And the more I read about it, the more I learned about this, the, the, the topic uh, and also bringing you know, my perspective as you know, I worked uh, many years in, in consulting, working with very big companies, understanding their needs. Uh, it just made more and more sense to me until at some point I came to him and I said, Let's do it. Yeah, no. And I mean, experience too on the credit union side, right? I mean, uh, did you instantaneously see that it could, it's something that could be white labeled and made advantageous to smaller, smaller banks as well? Was that a, was that an instantaneous product concept or was it something that kind of developed over time? No, so, so we thought about it uh, relatively quickly, but what we, uh, the approach that we took, I think from the get, from, from the early uh, beginning, and I think that this approach, uh, has uh, um, proved itself is not to rely on banks to adopt our solution immediately, but rather start building our own traction, selling directly to buyers uh, and sellers, build our own uh, client base, uh, have our own operation, establish our infrastructure, prove it. And then, you know, along the way, have, offer it also to banks. And I think that this approach has uh, proved itself. Um, it was a strategic decision that we made. Uh, and as an example, you know, during COVID, uh, we had quite a few, we had, had an, and still have quite a few dialogue with banks, but banks just did not have any bandwidth to consider adopting new uh, technologies. Uh, however, our direct channel uh, grew and grew, continues to grow. Um, and just, I think we, we, we just made, um, I think a, a good decision early on. Uh, and I think that in the dialogues that we have with banks right now, they see the need, they see the traction. And I think this is, uh, also a good, um, uh, I would say, uh, uh proving the, the, the product, a good, uh, validation, I would say of the actual need, uh, of the technology solution of the process of the fit to the middle market space. Um, yep. It's the hard thing of, um, it's the hard yet beneficial aspect of building a marketplace, right? I mean, you have to build, what y'all are having to do is you're having to build buyers and you're having to, you know, 
and go in and make sure that the sellers are on the platform as well, so to speak. Um, and that's hard to do initially, but as it gains traction, it just, you know, the, this, you know, this quote unquote snowball is rolling downhill at that point in time, right? It just continues to pick up momentum and speed and more snow, et cetera, et cetera. So the first, the first couple of years of trying to build out the marketplace is an extraordinarily difficult thing to accomplish. Um, but as that ball goes moving downhill, it becomes, um, you know, it's amazing what it picks up along the way. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it even more challenging because, you know, I have friends uh, even from Israel, from, from the U.S. that uh, launched a uh, uh, financial marketplace for consumers. Uh, and when you do that, you can start small. You can start with, you know, uh, just in terms of the working capital that you need to finance transaction. You can start with, uh, a handful of uh, uh, buy side, a handful of sell side, and with your own equity, maybe, and just grow this uh, gradually. In our space, because we work with big buyers, big sellers, uh, you can't start small. You have to start with, you know, sometimes the millions of dollars uh, in terms of the available funding that you need to have in order to even, you know, kickstart with one or two buyers and five to 10 uh, sellers. Uh, and in this sense, we were uh, lucky to have uh, really an amazing uh, funding partner or funding partners that supported us from the beginning, uh, had the patience uh, uh, to grow with us. And I think that now, every couple of months, we are either doubling or, or significantly, significantly increasing our credit line just to uh, keep up with the demand. Um, um, how do you go about, I mean, it's a, it's a challenging problem, right? Because you're right, you're not talking about lending $10 amongst friends. Um, you know, you're talking $50 million to $5 billion um, sized companies. Those, those companies, they make some decent sized purchases, I imagine, throughout the year. So how do you, how'd you find your first lending partner? Um, through our network. Again, we have, uh, this one specifically, it's, uh, we, all, all of our funding partners are, are US-based, mm -hmm. uh, but we got to our largest uh, funding partner through our uh, Israeli network, actually. Uh, one of our network members uh, is a founder of a large uh, fintech company, and he had a specific person in mind that, that said, I think he can be a great partner to you. Uh, we started uh, the dialogue and I would say relatively quickly, we reached uh, a meeting of the minds in terms of the, how we were going to work together, the capacity, uh, and, and we have been growing with this funding partner um, consistently. Since the beginning. Yep. So that's awesome. Um, so um, when you're, when you're going out and you're talking to different now new lending partners, right? Or are you, you now have more than one lending partner, right? No, what you just said. Oh, we have a couple of lending partners. Yeah. How does that, I mean, um, do they grab a hold of it as well? Do they, when you're talking to lending partners like that, do they instantaneously know what you're doing and also start to sell for you? In other words, do they start to make introductions for you too? Or have you not seen that click yet? And they're more just uh, the funding mechanism for the entity right now. 
So because this is a relatively uh, unique product, uh, some of the lending partners aren't familiar with it, but, but because they are, you know, they are relatively or very, I would say, sophisticated investors, they, they get it. Yeah. I would say that it's not, they, they typically don't start you know, throwing an introduction at us. Um, they're looking at it from a perspective of whether we can first you know, establish a partnership or, or, or a collaboration uh, where they would fund our operation. But I think you know every uh, such funding partner always is always looking in addition at the broader picture or, or how can they add value uh, beyond just providing uh, capital to the operation. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Um, I almost see it as one of those things. That, you know, the more people, it's more. Of, it's a marketplace, right? So the more people that are utilizing the marketplace, uh, the more people that are talking about it. It almost. Um, you know, it's, it seems like it starts to sell itself after a while. And I wonder, I wonder how close y'all are to that point in time where it's just selling itself and, um, you know, you're holding on for, you know, dear life, trying to make sure it doesn't, doesn't break on its way down the hill. Yeah. So, so, so this is a good point, uh, because, you know, we are working with, with buyers and sellers, but every buyer is also, uh, or is often a seller to other companies and every seller is also a buyer vis-a-vis uh, -vis its own vendors and buyers. And I would say that right now we have a couple of dialogues around really this viral growth. And we believe that as the platform growth uh, grows, as the uh, buyer and, and, and seller uh, universe that we're serving is growing, we'll have more and more uh, requests and, 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 and very, very warm introductions uh, that would help us grow the uh, platform uh, virally. Now, I, will, I would also say, and, and you mentioned the, uh, the reverse factoring model, this model by itself is viral because you start working with a buyer and the buyer is introducing uh, its, uh, its own vendors to you. So it can't get any uh, warmer than that when you are introduced to a seller uh, by one of its buyers. Yeah. It's gives you credibility, it gives you access to the decision maker. Uh, and this is part of the reason that we have been able to grow and scale quickly uh, just because of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, as you say, it starts off as a pay side solution. And then, it, you know, from there, just because of the viral aspect of it, you now have multiple ways to, um, to expand the business, right? You start as a pay side solution, now a factoring option. Um, and then from there, you can continue to launch into different, uh, we'll call it resources, products, whatever you want to say that you can offer to companies as you continue to build and, and grow the company going forward. So, so, yeah, and I would maybe even more broadly, I would say this is one of maybe three pillars or maybe or, or three key difference differentiators that we have vis-a-vis uh, -vis traditional uh, lenders. One is really the network effect, okay, that uh, drives down acquisition costs. Uh, and also drives up effective uh, delivery of, of the credit products. Uh, the second uh, pillar is the access that we have to real-time data. This impacts risk. Uh, it helps us offer competitive pricing. Uh, it helps us improve the relevance of the credit offer that we are delivering uh, and, and, and beyond that. And the third pillar is that everything is 100% digital. Uh, which helps uh, makes the adoption both from the buyers and the sellers much easier. 
they get offers that are very relevant to events that are actually happening right now. Uh, but it also helps us deliver better a better user experience. Uh, they can access the uh, uh, those products through our uh, web app, our mobile app, and even through the through the email. Um, so I would say the 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 network effect, the real time data, and the experience are some of the key differentiators that 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 we have. I think that play in favor of us vis-a-vis uh, -vis other solutions uh, that are out there in the market. Yeah. So startups are hard, right? I mean, they're, they're not easy. Um, building a marketplace is difficult. Um, gosh knows, um, building a startup in a new country isn't easy, right? I mean, you had, a, had a, a fair amount of uphill hills to climb um, along the way. When, when along the journey was, was it pretty apparent that it was, it was starting to work in the manner that you hoped it could. Um, how long did it take? How many how many nights did you bang your head against the wall before we, before it started to gain the traction you were looking for? I would say that the if if I had to pick one moment that I really felt that this is this is working, these would be probably the the last uh, two weeks of March 2020. Uh, so really, when the COVID uh, panic uh, started to reach its peak, we got. Uh, close to 100% utilization uh, on our platform. Uh, now, you know, when you are building and modeling the, the demand uh, of, of the credit and, and the resources that, that, that you as a fintech company needs, needs to have, uh, you typically do not include events like, like COVID. So what yeah. is really stretched, True, yeah, very true. <laughs> really stretched, stretched uh, our funding uh, abilities uh, almost to the limit. Uh, but as I mentioned before, we have an incredible funding partner uh, that is very flexible, agile, quick to respond. We work with them, and we were able to meet all of the requirements uh, basically the same day. And and at least for me, this was the moment that I felt like this is really working. This is really providing uh, uh, value. Uh, we we we, st we still had you know relatively high utilization even before COVID. But the COVID, when, when I saw the influx of, 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 uh, of requests that we got almost every day uh, during these two weeks uh, in late March 2020, this was my uh, aha moment. Uh, and I would say that uh, in the past, let's say, year, year and a half, we've seen a uh, significant uh, uh, increase, both in the demand from existing buyers and sellers, and also uh, with new buyers that, that, that bring new sellers to the, uh, to the ecosystem. Um, so this was the moment, at least for me, that made me feel like it was, it was worth it. Uh, and yes, I mean, it is a, an uphill battle, but I would say that when you're, you're building something uh, that is valuable, uh, you have people that, that appreciate it and partner with you along the way uh, one of uh, one example are our investors, and I would say that I, I did mention that our first investor was an Israeli uh, angel fund. But ever since then, all of our investors are U.S.-based. Most of them, I would say, are from the Carolinas, uh, and many of our business uh, uh, partners, advisory board members, uh, are also from the Carolinas. Uh, people that are, I think, excited 
by what we do. They see the value, they see the, how this is growing, uh, and they are more than happy to uh, assist us with their experience, with their connections. Um, so it's not easy, but, but it's uh, tons of fun. Yeah. No, I mean, um, so A, just, um, just to make sure we're all on the same page, I, I don't think you were alone and not modeling in a COVID-like event last year. I think there's a few other companies out there that were, were probably in your same boat, right? Um, but, I mean, so you go from spring of 2017 to, um, for all intents and purposes, spring of 2020, um, when you got your aha moment, um, what, um, well, you knew it was really working, right? Um, what were some of your successes along the way? Because when you're going that long and you're, you're continuing to push and develop and you're building a platform and you're building a marketplace and you're getting buyers on the platform, you're getting sellers, you're getting feedback, you're going through technology and you're going through all of these different things. You, you need small victories along the way to continue to, um, you know, to, can you, to allow you to continue, right, for all intents and purposes. What were some of those small wins y'all had over the years um, that allowed you the, the optimism to continue to push through the challenges that a lot of lay ahead? I would say that, uh, so again, definitely we had, we had a lot of wins prior to COVID. And I would say that maybe the, one of the more uh, exciting moments were, was when we basically, when we signed up the, the, the first buyer and, <laughs> and vendors. And then again, and, and we mentioned how in the consumer space, uh, it's very gradual. You start by, you know, with, with, with $0 and then you can start, you can, you move to a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand. So you, you climb or you, you increase the amounts gradually. Uh, with us, we started from, you know, basically moving $0 to moving a lot of money <laughs> in a frame of, of, of one or two weeks. So it was, it was really, you know, we were very, very focused, very, very, um, uh, you know, in, in closed in, in close dialogues, both with, with the buyer, with the vendors, with the funding partner. And then after a couple of weeks, when we saw that this is working, stabilizing, and things are moving exactly uh, as, as we planned, this was, I won't call it a small win, it was actually a huge, <laughs> very exciting. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh, but all, you know, all, all, whenever you sign up a new client, and you buyer and 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 the vendors join and and it and and this starts scaling each time. It's like uh, it's 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 a victory that that uh, uh, that is exciting. Did you did you have your uh, did you have your lender on speed dial for the uh, for a while there? And every time you sign up a new buyer, you're instantaneously calling to make sure there's enough capital for y'all to lend out there. Hey, wait a second! Remember, you told us you were gonna you're gonna help fund this on the back end. We've we've now we've now got some more people that are gonna want money. So uh, so 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 first of all, we have uh, beyond just the working relations, we also have like a personal friendships with with, with them. They, I mean, really, we are working together for over uh, two years now, uh, three yeah. years. Um, uh, and and I think that they definitely they, they understand what we do. They understand the space that we operate in, which is the middle market. Uh, and they have appetite, so we we did not have a lot of uh, problems. Whenever we need to increase the capacity, um, uh, I would say it's always a very uh, uh, smooth process. 
Um, yep. I, 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 by the way, no, sorry. No, I was going to say, when, you know, they've got to be super excited for you, right? Because, I mean, um, you're increasing their capacity to lend money out gives them, you know, uh, opportunity to make more money as well. So they, um, you know, they're certainly rooting for you really hard. Yes, for sure. So speaking of, uh, speaking of capital, so, you know, you're a couple of years into this now, you raised a pre-seed before you came over here um, and you're in the process and we can't talk a boatload about um, the process, but you're in the process of raising money again, right? You're raising capital um, here in the U.S. Um, how's the process different now than it was when you first started raising money um, for your pre-seed you know, back in 2016, 2017? Um, it's very different. Uh, so again, our prod, our platform is not, I would say it's not very intuitive. It is relatively specialized in to explain it to investors, even uh, fintech investors. It's not the easiest task. You have to do a lot of uh, explanation why this would work, why this is valuable, how exactly is the mechanism working. You need to do a lot of persuasion uh, to make them believe that this can really uh, work. Uh, at the stage that we are right now, we do not need to do a lot of hand-waving because we can show actual examples, uh, we can show volumes, we can, we can show adoption uh, patterns, we can show, uh, you know, um, um, increasing uh, volumes with, with, with our funding partners. So we have a lot of, a lot of evidence uh, that this is working. So this makes the work of explanation uh, much easier, I would say. Yeah. So, um, and y'all are y'all are now in Charlotte, or you're moving head, your your headquarters is now in Charlotte, right? As a result of coming to QC FinTech. That's correct. So, does that mean that the vast majority of your um, business and almost pitching for does it mean most of your stuff is here in the Southeast or just because of the nature of the, the viral nature of the business model itself that it puts you on a national basis really quickly? No, so, so again, we, we, have, uh, we work with buyers and, and, and sellers from all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have a, like a concentration in uh, Charlotte or in the Carolinas because, uh, because we're located in Charlotte. I would say that some of the early adopters are from the Carolinas just because of the nature of uh, our network uh, and the introduction that we had. But now as we scale the business uh, and we increase our reach, uh, we have buyers, sellers from many, many states uh, from the East to the West and internationally. Yeah. Um, so use of funds then, so as you raise, your, as you raise that capital, um, you know, as the business matures, where I mean, you've got your lending backed up, right? You don't, it's not like you have to have your own lending facility. You're going to have that through your relationships that you've established already and probably the relationships that you'll continue to establish. So you don't need lending capital. Um, you know, use of funds for you as you continue to build out and scale this business, uh, where's the vast majority of it going? Is it going to infrastructure uh, technology, um, going to marketing, sales team, um, all of the above. I mean, how do y'all continue to build this thing out from here? Yeah, so as you uh, accurately pointed out, we're not using our own equity to fund 
uh, uh, funding requests. We have our funding partners for that. Uh, and the capital that we look for now is going to be used, again, to increase our sales and marketing capabilities, strengthen the infrastructure that we have there, but also to strengthen the technology backend. Again, as we, and maybe this is, this connects to a broader topic of, of the, the, uh, uh, the market segment that we're targeting, which is the middle market. Um, and excuse me for going maybe a little bit off topic uh, with, with my answer, but the middle market today is on one hand, a huge market. You have over hundred thousand uh, different mid market enterprise in the US alone. Uh, but on the other hand, it is underserved in terms of uh, advanced credit products. Uh, if you're looking at the small companies, you have a lot of fintech companies, credit unions, banks that offer digital innovative products that are very, very easy to access. If you're looking at the other side of the uh, spectrum with the Fortune 1000 buyers, so these are heavily uh, sought after by the big banks uh, with very uh, advanced uh, credit products. The middle market today is served with very traditional products that are delivered to uh, the market uh, in a very traditional way. So the more we speak with buyers and with uh, sellers, the more opportunities that we see and that we can definitely address. Uh, and here I would close the loop, get back to the end, to, to your question, uh, William, some of the money that, we, that we're raising is gonna be used to, to um, add more features, add more products to the platform that we have, uh, but also to make the onboarding experience even smoother, even slicker than it is today. Uh, and improve the experience uh, of the buyers and the sellers that, that, that use it. Yeah, it's interesting. As you talk through that, like I had a, all of a sudden I had a flood of things that ran in my mind. Like um, on the initial basis, and even today, do you have a concentration in industry? Is that like one industry that you know? Um, trucking was a horrible industry for me to pick, but it, it's just the first thing that came to my mind where you know the vast majority of your initial sales came from or even a vast majority of your current sales come from or do you really find that its adoption is spread across industries so i so i would say in terms of, of so I, I would differentiate between industries and between the type of of of, uh, of the companies when, when i say type i mean most of our uh, users are either manufacturers or distrib distributors okay, okay? Uh, because Naturally, these are industries where managing working capital is a very, and cash flow is a, is a top priority. This is an industry when you have a lot of uh, vendors, a lot of, of suppliers. In terms of the actual industry, so we have buyers and, and vendors from different industries, uh, but definitely if we're looking at the uh, type of, of, of the companies, these are definitely mainly uh, manufacturers and, and distributors. Okay. So does that, uh, I mean, to a certain extent then, as, as you picked up steam some last year, you know, um, through COVID, and I would imagine, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this, trade shows in those sectors would be beneficial things for y'all to go to. And for all intents and purposes, trade shows over the course of the last 15 months have shut down. Um, so as life returns to normal and you're able to get out there and see some maybe buyers that you haven't or don't get a chance to see on a more traditional basis, will um, 
will will you hit our trade shows and things like that on your radar sales marketing perspective that will really allow you to pour more and more fuel on the fire over the course of the next couple of quarters? So I would say that trade show is, is, is one component of the entire uh, marketing and sales strategy. It's not, it's definitely not the uh, uh, main uh, source of leads to uh, a company like ours. We are uh, operating heavily and in, 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 in increasing our uh, footprint uh, in different digital channels. Um, uh, so digital channels work in the space. I always, I mean, I would, for whatever reason, I stick my head in the sand when it comes to you know manufacturing and distributorships. Are those easy? Are those are those channels from an advertising digital perspective? Are they um, are their hit rates kind of comparable to what they are elsewhere? I would say I I, I would say that it works if you do it right. Yeah, uh, sending you know fifty thousand uh, people uh, a generic message. <laughs> It would, it, it would not work, yeah. but take the time to uh, study your audience, to filter and, and to focus on the uh, companies that are relevant to, to the product that you're selling uh, and to the decision makers that are relevant to the product that you're selling. So definitely this can be a very, very effective channel. Uh, but I would also say that part of uh, our digital and marketing efforts go towards channel partners uh, for instance, private equity firms that own manufacturers and distributors, uh, these private equity firms are always looking for ways to unlock cash, uh, improve the cash flow, working capital, uh, resiliency of the supply chain of their portfolio companies. Uh, and today, some of our buyers uh, were introduced to us by the private equity owner. So, isn't that crazy? Um, as you build, I mean, the, the probably wasn't on your rate. Was it, was that concept even on your radar at all to go out and talk to, um, uh, private equity folks about what sits in their platform? So actually, no. So when, when again, getting back to the, this, the inception of, of the company, this is not a channel that we had in mind, Yeah. Uh, but one of the advisory board members, uh, brought it up on one of the advisory board meetings that we had. And we said, Hmm. This is this is an interesting idea. Let's let's uh, let's see if this uh, if this can work. And we started reaching out to uh, a few private equity firms, and some of them were very receptive. I think again, in some of the private equity firms that that uh, that are uh, out there, they have focus on improving the operational performance. Some have operating partners uh, or operating principles where their role is to find ways to improve the performance. Of their portfolio companies, but yes, what what we are seeing is that uh, uh, more and more private equity firms are actively looking for ways to uh, optimize the performance because they understand that in the end of the day, this translates to a higher uh, return of investment for them. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great great to see it it work that way. A in terms of uh, finding new ways to to sell it in. And then, you know, it's the way an advisory board is supposed to work, right? They make introductions, they help the business grow and scale. Um, it's one of the reasons I imagine that the, you know, the RevTech Labs GC FinTech program is so beneficial is because the, just the financing aspect of the knowledge here in Charlotte is so strong. It had to have been just um, the talent that was in Charlotte had to have been one of the most attractive reasons for y'all to be interested 
in the QC FinTech program, you know, way back um, four years ago. For sure. I think Charlotte uh, proposes an amazing uh, opportunity for FinTech companies that are at the stage where they are looking for uh, financial institutions to partner with, uh, you know, anything from getting beta sites to, uh, to um, increasing a network of, of uh, existing financial partners. Um, just, just because of the wealth of, of uh, or in the diversity of the financial institutions that, that are located in Charlotte. Yeah, it also has to make it easy in the future as you continue to grow the business and headquarter here and everything else. Um, it has to make it a, easy, yeah, a little bit easier to pick off talent, right? You got people that understand what you're doing, how you're doing it, um, can bring new product concepts, ideas, um, efficiencies to the business as you continue to grow and scale. For sure, for sure. I, um, I also, you know, unlike, unlike in New York, where uh, I would say that uh, senior executives in New York, you have so many fintech companies, or in general, many, many startup companies there, uh, that they keep getting a lot of people knocking on their doors, uh, and, and it's hard for them to keep up. In Charlotte, you have fewer companies, but the people are as friendly, sometimes you know, even more open to uh, helping uh, young companies. So for us, one of the reasons that we decided to set our headquarters in Charlotte was the ecosystem of financial uh, executives or, or generally uh, senior executives in Charlotte that are very experienced. Uh, they have uh, a broad network and they are happy to support and assist uh, young companies that they believe in their product, they believe in their value proposition, uh, and it's just an exciting uh, adventure for them as well. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the, you know, um, what are the, some of the things that y'all are looking to do over the course of the next couple of quarters, right? So what are some of the opportunities to efficiently scale the business? What are some of the challenges that you're thinking about as you continue to move ahead from here? Um, you know, what's up for the next couple of years? Uh, with Cortex as, as you raise capital, deploy capital, grow the business, hire new people, right? What are the, um, what's on the horizon for your new products? So, so in this sense, I would say, you know, obviously different startup companies have, are very different in terms of the product that they're offering, in terms of the infrastructure that they need, but the challenges or, or the needs are, are similar. You want to increase your traction. You, you want to um, automate and 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 uh, and streamline uh, additional functions that are today maybe not completely automated. Uh, you want to raise the capital that you need to continue the momentum that you're having. Uh, you want to increase the functionalities. You want to increase the value that you're providing to uh, the users of the users of your system. You want to forge uh, partnerships, channel partnerships uh, with organizations that. Realize the value that I'll deliver, that you deliver. That see the you see how, that they see how this can integrate in the product that they're already offering to their clients. So we have a lot on the radar, a lot on the agenda. And again, when we are speaking with either existing or prospect buyers and vendors, we just see the uh, size of the opportunity uh, that is almost. You know, I, I don't really like the using the word the blue ocean, yeah. uh, but it's just 
it's just a huge opportunity. The middle market today poses tremendous opportunities to fintech companies, but I would also say to companies in other sectors, uh, just because it's relatively, or it used to be relatively difficult to get access to the decision makers of in these organizations. But if you do it today uh, correctly with the right digital tools or the right uh, channel strategies, uh, this is doable. Yeah. So it's crazy to think we're already coming up on the end of our time. Um, one of the things that, you know, you always talk to people about is be begin with the end in mind, right? Um, and so, you know, the end for y'all, I would imagine is, especially as you raise capital, you know, there's always the expectation of some type of an exit event. Um, is it a company that you can take public? Is it a company that you want to take public? Or is this a company that you grow for five to 10 years and you sell it off? And I know that's a hard question to answer out loud, especially. Yeah, so th this is a hard question to answer out loud. So I think uh, in terms of, of the uh, um, avenues uh, that are open to us, I would say this is definitely a company that can go public, uh, but this is also a company that can add value to different types of large enterprises. This is a company that can fit into the portfolio of uh, um, companies that sell uh, digital infrastructure to banks. Uh, we are a company that can also fit into uh, just a bank, just to complement or add advanced digital uh, credit products to the commercial uh, banking unit. Uh, this is a company that can be integrated into a large lender that is looking for um, for ways to reach commercial clients, middle market clients. Uh, there are, and, and this is just the tip of the iceberg that you have many other types of organization. It can integrate into an ERP uh, vendor, ERP, ERP vendor uh, mm -hmm. that to expand into financial products uh, for the companies that are using its system, um, supply chain management, companies that want to add a layer of financing, a layer of funding to the buyers and the sellers that are already using its uh, uh, services. So there are a lot of ways that uh, this can grow. But what we're focused on right now is to continue. We're not looking for you know, uh, monetization, a personal monetization or whatever you want to call it. We're looking to build a company that would be huge, that would be successful, that would deliver value, that would basically change the way that middle market buyers and uh, vendors are financing their, maybe their short-term uh, needs uh, in a more digital way, on-demand way. Uh, so this is where our focus is uh, at right now. Well, it sounds like you've had a great focus in getting it to where, it's, where it is now. So um, you know, congrats to you on um, you know, getting you know, continuing to put one foot in front of the other over the course of, you know, the last couple of years to get it to this point, um, you know, certainly you know, seems well on its way to be another nice startup that's going to be headquartered here in Charlotte. Um, and, you know, really glad that you, you know, set aside some time with me over the course of the last couple of weeks to bring me up to speed on what y'all are doing and how y'all are doing it. And then, you know, further to give our listeners today the opportunity, I would imagine folks can reach out to you directly on LinkedIn um, or offer your website for further inquiries on using the product 
um, or understanding further about the investment opportunities as well. Is that fair? That's very fair and uh, very fair. And, and again, William, thank you for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, to speak with you, share what we do. Uh, and again, this is part of the uh, perks of, of being hosted in Charlotte, getting, getting uh, opportunities like this. Yeah, no, we are. I mean, again, you're doing a great job. It's great to see. It's great to see the success of it. Um, you know, and I mean, to your point, I mean, it's a, it's a new open marketplace for y'all to go explore and, um, and to unlock. And we certainly wish y'all the best of luck as you continue to do it over the course of the next couple of years and beyond. Thank you very much. on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.